as I'm using a voice modulator. I do this, of course, to protect my identity, as in doing this interview, I do not represent the views of any of the hospitals for whom I work. As you may notice, I have chosen a Daft Punk voice, and I think it is quite successful. Hello, and welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you. And that disclaimer was from, I guess, to, well, I don't know who that was from, kind of a robot, uh, but it does convey the point that um, the views expressed are those of my guest and not of any uh, entity or place of employment, anything like that. So let's not get litigious going into this um, hopefully is valuable. I certainly for me wanted to hear from someone directly in the medical community. Uh, he's an ER doctor in Massachusetts, which you'll hear all about and what the conditions are like. And I feel like this is valuable currently because maybe we're not uh, hearing from those people. They're, they're busy. We get little snippets and things on the news. Um, and hopefully, you know, someone in your life uh, that can give you some insight, but I thought it might be worthwhile for those of you who don't know anyone to hear maybe what it's like essentially on the front lines of this. So um, he was on the show, seems like a year ago now, maybe, um, but just kind of chatting about, you know, general stuff. Whereas with this, uh, it's very specific and relevant to coronavirus and uh, what you can do, what we are doing, supplies, et cetera, et cetera. So I hope you find this valuable. Here is a chat with Patrick Hughes, Dr. Patrick Hughes of the emergency room. Dr. Patrick Hughes, joining the program once again. I'm glad you have time, one, because um, I've, based on the news and things like that, there's this feeling that uh, all doctors are working 24 hours a day and have no time. And so hearing that you were like, oh, I'm off next week was really um, relieving to hear. And, um, and I like that, um, one, we know each other. That And two, that you would take time to do this because I feel like everyone, ha- even though there's unlimited podcasts and availability, there just also seems to be this feeling that there's not like a dedicated Twitter page to or a hashtag of like, I have COVID-19. So people taking you through every step of the journey. People that are really sick don't have time to be like live streaming what it's like. So for most of us, we don't know what it's like in the hospital and occasional um, video might get out from a nurse or something like that, or, or a still photo and that makes the rounds. But otherwise we're just kind of hearing what the news is saying. And so I want to just talk with you. Thanks for taking time to do it and ask, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Mostly because I've had about a week off. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, in general out here, we're doing okay. Um, uh, I'm on Massachusetts and I work at a variety of, uh, a few different, uh, clinical sites out here. Um, 
it's been interesting because it spans the range of uh of like a very small community uh standalone er up to um an academic center or like a, a nice tertiary care center mm-hmm. um so you you kind of get the gamut of it um the the main clinical site uh i'm affiliated with has been exceptional they've been uh, really remarkable in how they've um how the leadership has been uh preparing for this and we've kind of gotten lucky in that um it so far hasn't hit us as like a tidal wave yet um we it, it is bizarre it's having major ramifications throughout the healthcare system and, and uh you know obviously internationally nationally and locally um right now in the er it's 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 really a bizarre feeling um our daily volume of patients is way lower than it normally is um does that, at least it has been the last yeah. does that coincide with people are going that is a place where i could go and potentially catch something that could be worse than what I think I'm dealing with. Oh, I might've broken my finger. I'll give it a couple of days. Are people like that staying home more? So do you think? Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Um, we're seeing a ton, ton of decreased cases for things like that. Um, and you, you still see a fair number of stuff like that, but in general, um, like for example, I saw one site, I think I saw 14 people in the course of a, and this is with like um, advanced practitioner assistance in the course of an eight hour shift when we normally would see like at least 24. Wow. Um, so it's just a massive difference. And there uh, it's allowed them to cut down on uh, the n- number of staff there to p- prevent potential exposures. But yeah, people are definitely avoiding the hospital like the plague. Pla- plague plague <laughs> you like the coronavirus think, you would think that because i've i've definitely talked to some people that are like i'm not normally a hypochondriac but i start feeling my throat itch or i had a, like a dry cough and i panic and you would think those people would be saturating hospitals and that's interesting to me that they are avoiding their natural hypochondriacal tendencies maybe because there is a real threat that could exist there which is in in a way kind of um uplifting that everyone is putting aside their idiosyncrasies to go you know what someone else is needs to go there that has advanced symptoms i'll hold off to a degree uh, to a degree to a degree i mean i don't yeah i don't know who i i imagine that is there are a lot of people doing that but we also see plenty of people uh, coming in with really minimal symptoms who are just coming in uh without being informed about the one that it's a bad idea to come in and um i don't know half the time they're actually directed to come in by other people like they're we've seen a lot of people coming in uh because they need a work note either saying they can go back to work or saying that they can't go back to work and half the people are requesting a note saying they can go back to work and that their boss is mandating that note and you're like no i mean you have you have uh some respiratory symptoms like you this might not be coronavirus but it might be we have a gross shortage of tests, so you're not getting a work note saying you can go back <laughs> until you got to <laughs> self-quarantine for an extended period of time. How are you able to, with the, the lack of testing, is it one where, okay, we have uh, 14 people per hour coming in and we have on the day X number of tests? And say just, again, your views here and your everything you express today is in no way... Um, 
attached to the hospitals you work at. These are strictly your own views. But say there's five tests, uh, just as a random number. So you would say to that person, I, I'm sorry, we can't waste one of the tests on you. Or is it more that we don't have a test to give you, so we're... 99% confident you don't have this what level of when it's, someone comes in uh, of confidence that you're sending them out healthy and or not healthy it's the in terms of who gets tests it's pretty much just you know if I like them or not <laughs> <laughs> no it's not at all that. we have we have very little discretion actually um, there's I mean you uh, you have an understanding of this I know but there's like just been an unbelievable shortage of testing mm-hmm. despite us um despite many warnings going back to like this to december right right uh, and the national the in terms of like the federal government's effort to actually get the testing uh ramped up in my opinion it's been grossly behind and uh, there's been, there was an incredible amount of minimization about this whole issue it and seems so to be anytime a doctor is on uh, any when they have a, f- a spare moment to appear in any type of media, that that's the overwhelming sentiment, and it must be frustrating. And not to put thoughts or words out there, and or uh, in any way, um, these are my thoughts. But that must be frustrating uh, to see that the the government, in a sense, gets to go every day and have a thing saying, "No, it's going great. We're doing great." Whereas every doctor that gets a chance to talk is like. Phew, Boy, we really were underprepared. We didn't have the tests we needed. Yes, it's been it's been mind-boggling. It, it drives me it drives me nuts when I like whenever I check the news and, and see a, a quote out that a quote out there. It it just drives me absolute absolutely nuts. Um, I even I even prepared. I wrote down some of my favorite quotes from the last couple of weeks. <laughs> um, but we can get to that at some point. It's a little bit of a sidetrack right now. But basically, with the, with the testing, it's been it has been very frustrating. And uh, and we do we so at the different sites I work at, right? And I think this is how it is in most hospitals. Is the overarching thing is there's uh, every state has their own department of public health, and they have guidelines set up for testing. That is a public uh, kind of a public setup of testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a significant shortage of tests there, of course. So you have to meet certain criteria. Right now, it's in this community mitigation phase, basically saying it's out in the community. We need to mitigate how bad it gets and kind of flatten the curve. Um, uh, and so they're having us test people of um, kind of uh, epidemiologic uh, significance. So if somebody's living at a nursing home and they're going to get everyone else in the nursing home sick and they might have symptoms consistent with it, test them. If somebody works in healthcare and is going to expose a lot of vulnerable people in the healthcare uh, field, um, test them. So uh, it's, it's generally guidelines like that. Or if somebody just has a really severe unexplained respiratory illness, um, then they, they would qualify for the current um, uh, department of public health testing, at least in Massachusetts. They have, they have like six current um, recommendations for public funding of testing. And that's the general uh, summarization of what their testing criteria are. The second thing, and those tests, basically swab them, fills up paperwork, the lab sends it to the Department of Public Health and it gets, it gets run and it takes like, I think probably about a week or so to get the results. So you have, during that time, you have somebody on uh, isolation for that entire time. Um, and you're using up all sorts of uh, personal protective equipment during those people without 
you know, they might not have the disease and you have to assume they do and go through a ton of down, a ton of like gowns and masks every day uh, until you find out they don't have it. Um, which then has led to a lot of private testing being set up, but every single hospital has different private testing standards um, because they all use they all have different test supplies. So, uh, one hospital has a bunch has a bunch of uh, swabs, but they don't have the media to to test it appropriately. Another place has all the media, but they don't have enough swabs to test it because um, you have to you know you have to put the sample in a certain viral media culture. Um, and then test it. And so it's like everything. And so with there being varying amounts of supplies at every different hospital, they have different testing criteria. And there, since there's such a shortage, uh, pretty much the only time that I know of at most hospitals near is to get that people are getting tested is if they're being admitted to the hospital. If they're going home, they're being told to basically uh, just stay home and assume you have it. You're not getting tested. So it hopefully is going to get fixed soon but it's you know this has been going on for um like a couple weeks at least where that's the standard around here it's so many different factors all folding in together the the shortage of the personal protective equipment wouldn't be as bad if you could do a quick test and get the results right away and go oh this person doesn't have it you can reuse that gown you're okay but that they have to wait a week yeah that made that I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, like how much that compounds it. It's uh, you guys are kind of operating. I guess everyone is people going to the grocery store and having to buy and or decide when and how to consume their food. And I think at this point, everyone has enough, but everyone is making kind of concerted decisions uh, where to spend their money, how, how, when to eat their food, but on a much, much more significant and um, more frightening level, you guys are having to allocate how to use your resources, how to give out tests. And that's such a weird thought that it's not like people are coming in and being told to go home and or people that are really sick. Maybe they live alone and they live in a, you know, a remote area where you'd say, we don't need to give them a test, but you still have to care for them. So therefore they stay in, in isolation. You have to reuse all that gear. And is, has there been anyone that you've treated that maybe never got a test, but you were certain they had it and you just had to, op, you know, operate as if they did the entire time? Yeah, it's happened a bunch. Um, yeah. Um, that's happened a, uh, it happens a ton. Is, um, there, is there a feeling yeah. that you're operating in this kind of life raft way currently? We're like, okay, well, we don't have eno- enough tests. We don't have enough these type of supplies. We don't have this or this. Is there a feeling that there is a wave of relief coming if you can just sort of stave it off right now? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there is that feeling and ho- hopefully it's true. Um, but we're, we're definitely all kind of, everyone's basically doing what they can to prepare and to get ready for it. And fortunately here, here in Massachusetts, the, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a steady trickle that's, that's starting to pick up more significantly in the last uh, couple of weeks, but it still hasn't been like an outright uh, disaster. Like it has been at, um, in New York city, Italy, Mm -hmm. um, and so we are kind of thankful that every day that goes by without it hitting the fan, we're um, able to get a little bit more prepared to time when you're not directly involved in those preparations. You're kind of like just hoping it's happening. You know? <laughs> I feel then, a weird level of comfort here in that one California does okay on standardized tests every year. I feel like we're a relatively educated 
uh, state, and that's a broad generalization. It's you know certainly different parts of each city vary wildly from one to the other. Uh, but overall, it seems like our curve has been a little bit more manageable. Some of that could be because we're flatter. We're we're not of you know New York is you got to touch a lot of similar elevator so buttons. It's, it's so congested yeah. with you know we don't have great public transportation here, which is helpful in a situation like this. Are you do, what factors do you guys have? Is it all those? Is it people paid attention? People you know started isolating sooner? Is it just the lo- location and the way that the city is uh, designed or luck? How can you attribute it? I think it. I think it's very similar to what uh, to to what you were saying, uh, or to, to your situation. Um, in general, it's a very like it's a well educated population who everyone is taking it pretty seriously and self isolating and avoiding uh, going out into public as much as possible. Um, it is a fairly uh, sprawling type place where it's not nearly as congested as New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, traffic's bad, but. That's again, it's a public transportation issue. Yeah, um, and there is good. There actually is decent public transportation out here, but uh, it's it's nothing like how congested New York City is. I think that's been a major factor. Yeah, and we did have a good heads up. You know, we had the we got we had the benefit of, you know, unfortunately hit Seattle uh, area pretty hard, and so that gave us and everyone here a heads up to start preparing uh, more aggressively uh, and, and things like that. So, I think the area has generally been. Um, taking it quite seriously and uh, preparing i think harvard shutting down had to have been huge for that area because that had an impact out here i think people tried to offset that by saying oh well they have this endowment they have plenty of money they don't need to worry about it but i think overwhelmingly people went whoa if the smartest people gather in this place some of the smartest people on the planet all gather in this one little institution they're all heading home we need to really take this seriously that at least for me was a, a very canary kind of feeling yeah, that was really, that was a powerful move by them, and um, I think shows a lot of foresight. Mm-hmm. And then, are they? You know, the thing I've been uh, looking toward, and maybe this is naive or way too optimistic, but is kind of like American ingenuity. You know, we don't have a, a regime that can authoritarian style close down the streets and be like, stay in. Everyone's going to, even those Red Robin people that are, I'm going out to eat my burger. No one can stop me is so idiotic. And we all panic and be like, oh, you, you morons. But there's also this feeling of like, yeah, but our very smartest will solve that. They'll come up with new testing. We'll design things quickly. We'll churn out masks. We'll, is there anything like that regionally happening that, that gives you some optimism that like, oh yeah, we, we'll uh, handle this kind of individually or independently? Uh, I mean, I, I, all I'll say is our, our, our individual hospitals, especially the main academic set of uh, affiliation with, they have, they have undertaken such a diverse uh array of attacks uh on it and they've they've come up with pretty innovative ways to help address the testing shortage and then um are coming up with innovative ways to address the uh personal protective equipment shortage Mm -hmm. um so i've definitely seen that on a local level um we've had there's like a local army base out here and they stopped by to do uh some research into into helping out with the swabs and everything and then you hear about uh there's been really great instances of people just kind of 
uh, spending their time investigating creative solutions to, the, to all the problems we're facing. You see a lot of people donating their um, time and money to just to help support the hospital staff. Yeah. Uh, uh, and are you feeling uplifted by that or do you not have time to really think about it? Um, I mean, no, that's definitely uplifting. I just, uh, yeah, that's definitely uplifting, <laughs> but I also just tend to perseverate on the, on the overwhelming frustrations of the current situation. Yeah. How, I mean, how is your mind? It all depends. Yeah. It all, sorry, go ahead. It all depends on what? It all depends on what time of day it is. And if we've been working on when I wake up in the morning, everything's bright. Everything's beautiful. We're going to get through it at the end of a long, a long shift. You're like, ah, I hate Trump. (laughs) What could we, I mean, yeah, that man, that, that feeling, I, I was talking about this with comedians recently. I, I, they were one, I was young during, you know, certain eras, I guess, Clinton and things like that. George W. I mean, when he would speak publicly on television, I'd be like, Ugh, that's not great. I never really talked about it in standup. It didn't consume my thoughts. I would just be like, eh, I wish that wasn't happening, but it didn't seem so ubiquitous and oppressive. And now so many comedians, I think the, the, the job to me of a comedian is to just point out when something is bullshit to go, Hey, you don't really have to do that. They just make you do that. And then someone goes, Oh, that was really revelatory. Yeah. I saw this thing. And anything that's been put forth that way is usually come from a mind that is skeptical and kind of critical and examining things. And then that births a lot of great comedy uh, for so long. There were always political comedians, but the majority of comedians were not political. It was more of a clown thing to like, I just talk about weird, silly stuff, or I want to point out the idiosyncrasies of this. And now to see this feel, everyone refers to it as like a, a simulation that feels like it went off track. And it's because overwhelmingly to be lied to and then catch someone on a lie and have them just squirm out of it and start, you know, spinning plates over in another direction to change your focus or attention is something we've never uh, experienced. And I have this weird dislike, extreme dislike that I've never really felt for a president before. I've been disappointed. I've been like, ah, it's not my person, but I was always kind of of the mind, like the system as a whole, yeah, it's maybe loosening at the seams, but it is not this terrible. And now you have someone ignoring science, ignoring warnings and like a state propaganda television program that backs it up and defends it at all costs to cut a pandemic team to then, uh, have science show up blaring through things like a forest fire and still going, no, oh, we did everything right. Everything's great. Is so fucking maddening that I don't know how people are keeping their sanity just in general, let alone for you to be in the thick of it. I know. I get so, I, I lose it. I mean, I lose it on almost a daily basis thinking about the overarching, um, the overarching issue. And one of the things I was thinking about um, earlier is so many people try to act like um, politics are kind of like a, a insignificant thing. You're just like, oh, it's poli- yeah, you know, it's politics, or uh, you know, I don't really involve myself in politics, this and that, and that, and act like everyone's kind of in the same boat, whether you know, no matter who's president uh, and who's in charge. And it's just such a ridiculous notion and we clearly this clearly has been mismanaged from the top in such a 
such a terrible way. Um, I mean, we, we've known about this since December. We have like a quarter of the population of China. You know, we have four times, or we, I don't know, we have, we have like a quarter of their population and we have almost three times the number of cases, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. I have the numbers here. China has 82,000 and we have 213,000. And I can, I can tell you based off of the testing situation, we have a, a monstrous number more than 213,000. If, if it's anything like it is around here. Um, uh, so it's just been like a virtually unmitigated disaster and it has, it is directly coming from uh, the lack of leadership, the, the focus on, on absurd issues such as like, Right, rather than us just focusing on how to actually address this disaster with the federal government taking the lead, they're finding ways to have it be like, oh, look at look at when a private company start the U.S. come together, we can tackle anything. It's like really we are we are failing, we're fa- failing terribly because we're trying to attack this from a privatized approach. Right, um, and that you didn't you didn't actually just take control of the situation early, um, and people are legitimately dying because of of president. Trump being our president. It's outrageous, man. Uh, if it would have been, you got to think, uh, it's been about as poorly managed as it, as it could have been. It's slowly getting a bit better, but we've already kind of missed the boat on the situation and cases are already, it's already well out in the community and spreading. Uh, and people are legitimately going to die. Uh, we have like, uh, you know, it was like a month ago or something like that. He said the cases would be down to 15 in the next couple of days. And here we are at, you know, there has to be like a million cases in the country, at least. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 7,000 uh, deaths as we record this is inconceivable. It's, it, it, and I was thinking again, like not I, what bothers me the most now about the political side of it is if you just look at the data and say, this was a disaster, people go, Oh, you just don't like him. And like, I wish people like that would just evaporate. If I could just have an, an existence where people that have that mindset weren't allowed to speak to me publicly, that they would just go back to where you live in your goddamn basement, but I don't want to deal with you because I can't deal with that level of circumventing facts or things that are put right in front of you that we have video evidence of a guy saying it'll go down to zero it'll disappear it's a it's a hoax it's this thing we have video of all of that so anyone to act now like whoa china's the real problem here just evaporate from my immediate view i don't want to deal with you or see you in my life at all because you refuse to see what's really happening in the world and i know probably every talk radio person says that's what's really happening this is real that is a you there's no way you can look at this differently <laughs> it's a legitimate pandemic <laughs> leading to an unbelievable amount of deaths and if it was managed correctly it could have been much better uh, contained if those goddamn uh, it, emails that everyone was so worried about contained the blueprints to make an atomic bomb, would we still be dealing with this level of loss of life? That's to me what what the discrepancy is that people were so worried about, like, what will happen? This is about as bad as it can possibly get, and we're all just hunkered in kind of going, well, uh, it's, maybe it won't be as bad as we think. And, and it's, it's disheartening in, in, in many ways to hear from the, the belly of the beast that in the, the medical side of it, it's as bad as we're all being told. Yeah, I mean, to, in fairness, it's not that bad here locally yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we are having, um, without getting, I don't know, 
without getting too sidetracked, but in, in terms of what it, the effect on our current ER is, we're seeing the low, we're having a low volume of patients because people are avoiding the ER. People are not having elective surgery cases. So they're not presenting with like complications of that. Um, we have, uh, there's more hospital beds. So people are actually able to get up out of the ER quickly when they need to be admitted. Um, but we are seeing with less volume, we're seeing less pay. The hospital itself, the hospitals are taking huge financial uh, cuts. And so there's already um, uh, reimbursement is already down to, to uh, employees. You know, people are cutting, um, people are not making the money they, they were two months ago. Uh, and they're going to have to take further cuts. People's like pension plans are being affected. People's uh, compensation rates are way down. Um, uh, so those are things directly affecting the ER right now. It is very stressful, even though the volume's low because everyone's kind of waiting for, for everything to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're, everyone's facing the issues of like personal protective equipment and how to safely use it, how to reuse your gear appropriately and safely, um, how to make more of it. Um, there's stressful things that go on throughout the day that are all these unknowns we don't know about, like, uh, uh, what to do with a once a patient's been in that room who has a suspicion of coronavirus and it's just simple issues like how long do you wait to clean the room mm-hmm. certain people have this this strategy out there of oh you need to wait x number of hours for the virus particles to settle and then you clean the surfaces and then it's safe for another person to use have you um, had any cases then, of um, yeah. of your like doctors and nurses uh, contracting it so far there i i don't know of anybody actually personally who is contracted from working in the health from working in healthcare awesome. um yeah there are they do send out daily counts of people and there are a fair number of people who've contracted it um uh yeah i do think in general in terms of our risk though i actually think in in the, i mean in the healthcare industry we certainly face a lot of high risk high exposure situations mm-hmm. but at the same time there is a lot of focus on trying to provide us with personal protective equipment um and we are all very keenly aware of it and we are all trying our best not to get it and i think we're actually probably safer than a lot of people in public uh i, I honestly think people people are more at risk like working the cashier at walmart yeah um uh you know, situations where you're, like I said, I, I, what I saw 14 people in that one day, that is not many people to be around. Right. And there are probably six or seven of them who potentially have coronavirus. Um, but I have good protection for each of them. And so it's highly unlikely that I'll actually catch it. Um, whereas somebody working in the cash register at Walmart on a busy day, we'll see like how many people from within three feet away handle the same stuff they've handled um, and have no kind of protective equipment. So I actually think in healthcare, we're fairly well protected and there's a very big effort to get us appropriate protection. Um, you know? Yeah. So I actually feel relatively safe in terms of potentially getting exposed. Well, I heard you had to shave to, uh, get fitted for a mask and then it didn't fit. And (laughs) and so what are you doing? Are you growing the beard back? And what do you use for like a face protection thing? What type of mask? It was traumatic that, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of, I had a lot of extra chin 
going on that I wasn't aware of after having a beard for several years. And when I shaved, I had like pimples for the first time in years. I had like razor burn and a little under chin. Like it wasn't quite a double, but it, you know, I tucked my chin back an inch and it was a double. Yeah. Um, and now luckily I get to grow the beard back and just live in willful ignorance again of my, my <laughs> so do you, lack of but, fitness. But do you have to wear a face shield or what, what do you do yeah. to, okay. So the shield is, is you wear, good enough. You wear different things. You wear, um, you wear a gown, you wear a surgical mask, which is not the same as an N95 mask and you wear eye protection. Um, and then if you're going to do a high risk procedure, uh, such as obtaining one of the swabs, replacing a breathing tube in a patient, then you wear the full getup. If you have a beard, you wear the papper mask, which is like a positive pressure hood. So it's, it's a, it's a hood you put over your face with a plastic shield oh, right. and it has positive pressure ventilation going throughout it mm-hmm. to help push uh, any particles outwards that would be working their way in. And it looks uh, like a, that's kind of a hazmat suit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so that's what I have to wear. Fortunately, I actually have not had any, uh, had to innovate anybody yet, but uh, I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. I, the, the feeling of it's coming. Cause we kind of talked about that of the reinforcements and hopefully, you know, masks and, and PPE stuff will show up. Is there, is there a feeling that, well, the longer this goes and the more social distancing, when, when the spike or the, the, rapid acceleration of the curb or the curve you know linearly kind of increasing uh dramatically to being pretty vertical um is there a feeling that you know as one week goes by or two weeks goes by two weeks go by that you guys will have stemmed it enough to kind of go oh maybe maybe we did enough initially or is everyone 100 percent certain that based on the models and what's been happening elsewhere that the flood is going to come it's just a matter of time yeah, I think we're all, I think we're like all 95% certain that it's going to get bad in the next month or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and we certainly are seeing increased cases. It just hasn't been that dramatic of a spike, but it's it's been a fairly steady increase. And now the counts, the diagnosed counts are, are starting to skyrocket. So it's going to happen. We're going to start to see way sicker people soon. Um, there are already, there have already been a lot of cases. I mean, um, it's going to happen soon. Yeah, man. The, I think of the person. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just, we are, we are preparing for, you know, they're all they're Everyone they're they're emails. Like I get probably 20 emails a day about, uh, different ongoings to, to help address this and different updates about what steps are being taken and what we're going to do in this scenario or this scenario or this scenario or that scenario. Um, and we do have, really significant plans in place about how we're going to address the, the surge when it happens. Um, so we are preparing from that standpoint. The biggest concerns are the, uh, lack of adequate personal protective equipment and, the uh, I think the lack of testing, the lack of testing, honestly, at this point is the main thing that is just leading to a, it's kind of almost an outdated point at this, at this state. Cause at this point is kind of out if it if we had adequate testing two months ago mm-hmm. then we could have tested every single person and potentially got it contained um but i think we kind of missed that boat so now we're just kind of doing our best to prepare for the 
deluge and it's yeah does it make people you are feel preparing well i think yeah does it does it make you feel kind of confident that you guys have sort of rode this lifeboat with as little this, things that you need as seemingly possible thus far and again you're not in new york you're not in a, a situation where it's dire 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 but also that you could get this far is there a feeling like well we'll just take it one day at a time and i think we can go a little further we figured out how to manage this without any testing really with any without any you know effective testing uh it's not like you're turning people away and sending them home with 102 fever and like yeah you'll walk it off i mean you're you're treating it as if it is coronavirus thus far and hopefully you know isolating them in a way that's safe to you guys and safe to the public um but that's not the way you want to operate but is there a way is there a a sense of feeling that way that like well we've come this far i think we can keep doing this if we had to uh i I, maybe to a degree but i don't don't think anybody has feels like we're like winning the situation right now Mm -hmm. i personally i personally feel um I feel very, very, very good about the main hospital affiliated with and what they're doing. And I've been very impressed by the steps they've taken, um, to be kind of all over this, um, at the same time and to, and to kind of, uh, contingency plan for everything. Um, at the same time, I do just get worried about it comes down to the basic numbers. Are we going to have enough uh, hospital beds? Are we going to have enough ventilators? Are we going to have going to have enough protective equipment? Um, and people, you know, we just don't at this point. And uh, so, if, even with like people who I can't comment enough on how how brilliant they are, how hardworking they are, and the incredible leadership they're displaying during this, they even with all that, I just think at the end of the day we don't have enough uh, equipment if it's going to truly get bad. And I think most of us are thinking it's going to get pretty bad soon. And then do you and, worry, you know, about hopefully, it? hopefully not. But. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it was really uh, blood boiling. I think to a lot of people where, when the stimulus pan plan was going into place, Lindsey Graham was pushing back saying that like on unemployment nurses would want to stay home because they'd make a little extra and you know, you were saying like your staff and, and the hospital itself is seeing revenue go down a little bit. However, the, he ignored the most glaring. I think only a person without a heart could make that sort of claim. You work with people who are doing it out of a genuine care for human beings who, you know, if, if it yeah. gets to a situation where it's field hospitals and just wrapping a, brand, a bandana around your face and doing the best you can, uh, I imagine the majority of your staff will be there doing it because they care is is there a, a fear of that? And if so, what can we do? I saw this thing in Toronto where, and granted, it's a it's a little bit more densely populated area, but the people in downtown lofts at seven p.m. every night come out and bang on pots and pans to thank the healthcare workers, which is just it's so emotional to watch that that like I feel like we desperately wish we had something like that we could do to just be like thank you for what you're doing. That's a lot of thoughts all at once, but like. It, it, you know, how does that, how does that affect your thoughts? You not try to think that far ahead or are you, when you do think like that, go like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be there doing what we can. I, I think it's, it'll come down to everybody. If it gets that bad, it's going to come down to people's individual um, decisions and everyone's going to be 
respected for what they decide because mm-hmm. different everyone has different situations like if, if there's poor we have you know i have coworkers who have like they have family members who are heavily immunosuppressed um uh, and for them to potentially bring it home to their uh their loved ones is like that's not a good idea and and people are having to and people are living in temporary housing and hospitals are providing temporary housing for staff so that they can continue to work without exposing their family members. But I don't think anybody would judge any person for not working in that context. Right. Or especially if there's not, if, if there's no protection for our people, I mean, I wouldn't judge anybody who didn't want to put themselves at that danger when they're not being supported by anybody else. Um, I don't think it's going to get to that point. Uh, we have, we do have incredible people figuring out the PP, uh, PPE situation. Usually, you know, it's like the personal protective equipment. We have incredible people figuring that out. So I do think we'll probably get that part sorted out. Um, I think the biggest thing is going to hope, I hope that the biggest thing is just the ventilators and I hope that gets addressed. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. I, I think our healthcare workers are feeling supported by the community. Um, and the things that help with that are just, I don't know. The, I think everyone kind of is, there are a lot of messages of support out there. If you know anybody who works in healthcare, um, it's honestly, especially nursing are the people most at risk. Um, thanking them for what they do. If you go to the ER, grateful for the people that are taking care of you. Uh, you know, I've had, it has been a different tone with some of the patients. They've been like, people are genuinely thankful and say like, thank you for being here during this. Yeah. Um, but again, I think, I think that's important to say to like the people at like the Walmart cash register, right? Cause I think they are <laughs> the ones also at most risk and probably getting the least support. I was, yeah, I was at the grocery um, store and I said, thanks for working. And the person, it was, it kind of like broke them out of a trance kind of like they kind of looked up like, thank you. And then they started and I was, it was interesting. They just wanted to chat and I thought it was great to like, oh yeah, you know, like just any, it was such like a ghost town feeling. It was so like business folk at people just getting, there's absolute silence every every place in the grocery store people weren't saying hey to each other or excuse me there's just pure silence uh and that's got to be tense what you guys are dealing with is tense what those you know people working at grocery stores and any other place where there's a, a high um volume of traffic coming through of every single person you see is potentially a threat to your well-being that's that's tense yeah dude and, and everybody's everybody in the grocery store is in a rush to get out of the grocery store. And you know, the people working there pick up on that and are like, Oh God, <laughs> they're all so excited to get out of here. You know, I have to stand here for another eight hours. Um, not getting paid well. Yeah. I'm putting myself at risk and my family at risk. Um, well, I hope yeah. you don't, I hope it does. And I think maybe I'm being optimistic here that, every region ideally isn't going to have to deal with what some of the, I mean, Florida and Louisiana, what they're about to get into because of all the people that just kept pushing ahead uh, is going to be insane. People still going to church and et cetera, et cetera. And old and people that smoke, people that have any number of physical things prior. 
when doctors have to make these excruciating decisions about ventilators or when you do get into like needing body bags and things like that, I, I really hope, and it sounds like you're in an area where <laughs> potentially you could come out of this and years later go like, that was crazy, as opposed to like, that that shaped my life in a way that uh, people end up having PTSD from and stuff. I mean, are those things you think about? Is that too much? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. And I hope it's the, you know, the first one of those two. I really hope. And I couldn't, I honestly, uh, I feel very good about where I am in, uh, you know, in the Boston area and the stuff being done out here to, to handle this, including at the, the state uh, government level. Mm-hmm. Um I think that is one of the fortunate political things we've seen is that there have been a lot of, uh, there has been a lot of, uh, state government, uh, stepping up to handle this, which is unfortunate because it sounds like half the time they're just battling with the federal government. Yeah. Um, and it kind of sounds like a whole nother level of mess. Uh, but I mean, we are seeing people really take control of the situation around here and, uh, I feel quite good about that. So hopefully it's going to be, I think it's going to be quite well managed out here. Fortunately, they're like Boston has some of the most brilliant people in the world. Uh, and they're, they're focused on uh, getting through this. And they've been the city of, I, I dump on the city of Boston a lot, but uh, they have been through some stuff and they've got, they, they really can handle, handle, uh, um, they can ha- handle that kind of uh that kind of difficulty really well. You know, it's weird the 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 associated tragedy that people go through. It, it sort of solidifies some resolve in some weird way. And here, uh, I feel like the timing was oddly significant that. Kobe Bryant died in January and there was regardless of how you felt about him and the sexual assault, et cetera. Uh, there was just a thing with that throughout the city. He definitely impacted people on a very, very personal level. Murals popping up everywhere, flowers, tributes daily, thousands of people streaming through the Staples center to leave some sort of memorial. They put up temporary walls so people could sign them. And like a hundred thousand people did that. Uh, in a way that it felt it made this giant city feel a little bit like a small town. So then when in March, the mayor has a press conference and says, Hey, everybody in a way that like kind of gets everyone's attention. Like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're listening. It was very much like we're all in this together. Here's what we do as citizens. And, uh, I feel like it was so effective and who's to say it could have been the same had there not just been a tragedy and maybe that's a false correlation, but it did really feel like everyone kind of went, Oh yeah, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing it for who you were just talking about. People that work at the grocery store, people that drive the bus, et cetera. And the city just kind of shut down. And that gives me some hope that you'll hear the sirens go off every night and just be like, Oh man, I hope this isn't the start of nonstop siren, 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 siren for weeks on end, but they'll kind of dissipate mm-hmm. a little bit. And then I go, maybe it's happening. Maybe we're flattening this enough where we can alleviate the stress on the healthcare workers enough where they can battle through this rough part. So even if it does start to go up they're they're prepared. Yeah. I do think we are flattening the curve. I do think that is happening. Um, so it's, I do think it's going to be a drawn out issue, but I think we're at the end of the day, we're all going to make, we're going to, we're going to make it through, through it largely. Mm-hmm. Um, 
hopefully the death toll is not too high. Hopefully the psychologic uh, toll is not too high and uh, all the hits on families in terms of like uh, economics and all that as well. Hopefully none of that's too high, but at the end of the day, we're going to make it through it. It's just going to, it's just a matter of how bad it's going to be. Yeah. I like that mindset. What And again, like I kind of ask, but I mean, it, what's keeping your spirits up? What can people do? There's not like a, a specific sort of message board beyond just, you know, Twitter with a hashtag or something like that. But what's what's keeping your spirits up? What can people do to in some way feel like they're contributing? I think the biggest thing that people can do is just to stay at home if the the (laughs) most frustrating thing is is when you i i I guess people are going to have differing opinions on this depending who you ask um the things that are going to help is if the situation is manageable the things that are going to make the situation manageable are, are if people follow the recommendations for social distancing basically everyone should be staying at home 24 seven as much as possible um uh using very good hygiene in terms of coughing and hand hygiene um people should be wearing a mask of some sort while they're out public um and just basically not going to the er if they don't need to if you are gonna if you do think you need to go to the er basically unless you're dying you shouldn't go without contacting your primary physician first um if you don't have a primary physician you should be using telehealth or telemedicine which is basically where it's going to be either a phone call or a webcam chat and a lot of them are set up to work on like any computer or even on cell phones Um, like and some of those are actually being offered pro bono a lot of them are going to be or or if they're not pro bono it'll be for the same cost as a copay if you were to go to a a primary uh primary care physician's appointment um so those are ways to utilize the healthcare system to basically prevent it from being bad to avoid uh over utilization of the er uh, and the hospital system at large to avoid unnecessary use of personal protective equipment um and to keep us from feeling overwhelmed um that's probably the biggest thing in terms of like emotional support and all that. Um, I think most people it basically just thank the people you see that you, that, you know, uh, work in healthcare. Um, but overall, probably the most significant thing is just if it isn't that bad overall <laughs> and there are things we could do and hopefully will do, uh, to prevent it from being that bad overall. And that's going to be the biggest factor. I hope you just uh, have a. Per- if people have, oh, I, was gonna, I was gonna say, I hope at the end of this, you just have a parade of people going. Like, well, you're welcome. I sat on my couch for a month for you. I hope you appreciate that. <laughs> first, first, Tom Brady. <laughs> I can't do. It. I I can't start a Boston accent without swearing first, and so that that's what makes it difficult. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Tom Brady, he leaves us for the fucking Dolphins, a fucking Buccaneers, and now we got to deal with this coronavirus on top of that. Brady, and now the plague, friggin' perfect. And now this this guy's trying to tell me to stay in my house for a month. How am I supposed to stay in my house for a month? Wait, you know, like Tom Brady already left. What do I? What do I got to live for? <laughs> Gotta go get my scratchies. 
I, you know, you, my, uh, you were very helpful during my hospital ordeal. And I know like, um, afterward when I was like, I was so thankful to the nurses. I wanted to like hug all of them. And some of them did. And others just kind of had this, like, that's my work. You don't like hug the person that changes your tires. Get out of here. There was this, not a coldness, but there was this guy. I do. Thank you. Uh, there was like a, a little bit of diffidence in, in, to some degree of just like, yeah, I don't get too attached. So yes, it was nice you lived through this but um i just do my job and so now it seems like it's more important than ever for like you guys need to hear that it's not just they're not a tire that you're changing that it's stressful for you guys as well yeah i mean it's stressful i do honestly think though about all like in terms of all the possible displays of like emotional and emotional support and things like that i feel like the biggest thing is just if we can keep it from being that bad. Yeah. And there are a lot of ways to do that. And so I think that goes further than, than any kind of gesture somebody could make. I feel like, like, you know what would have been best for that hospital, Dave? What's that? If you didn't get appendicitis in the first place. <laughs> That's a good point. You ever think, <laughs> you ever I, think I, about not getting it? <laughs> I, it didn't even occur to me. I just was like, I was, I had my heart set on it and I just followed through. I have goals, man. Wanting that thing out of my body. Um, yeah, when they set us up, extra baggage, <laughs> when they set us up for this number, uh, 10 people, 15 people was already too many. 7,000 is insane. And the, this sort of projection, whether the cl- curve flattens more or less of somewhere in between a hundred, 250,000 people, uh, kind of sets this bar that like anything under that will prove that like Trump was right. Cause of course, if it was like, all right, we're out of the woods yeah. and it's 70,000 people died, he would be going, I'm the greatest. Look what I did. And I, I don't, I feel like I don't care. You can have that. We'd all the great, have a fucking parade for yourself. But w- I would just be so thankful that we did in some way stymie it, just flatten it just it. enough, just yes. mitigate it enough that it made it so much easier. on be you. So ecstatic. Yeah. Then he could do whatever the hell he wants. I would not care. Let the guy get reelected even. Hey, hey. <laughs> as long as we can avoid a second one. As long as we can avoid a second <laughs> pandemic. No, oh, God, I don't know if I could live through this. But no, I agree. It's, 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 but that's his whole thing of, of changing the, moving the bar every single time. And always, he's just a reality TV star and he like knows how to get ratings in that. And it's nuts that his ratings are up from December. Yeah. He's had like the highest ratings he's had in a very long time despite this being a, a complete undeniable disaster. Um, and like, and yet all we do, all they do is daily or however often they have these, these press briefings where he just like says whatever lies he wants to. And then if somebody tries to ask him a question, he just insults them and calls them names and calls them a terrible journalist. Right. I mean, like what happened to the respect we used to have for journalists in this country? These aren't people who go into it for like, for the money they go in and they, they have a, a, there's a thing called journalistic integrity. There's not like, like, I don't know that nobody's ever associated integrity with, with Donald Trump. Um, and yet we've gotten to this point where we just call them the media, you know, it's yeah. the media, right? Like, no, these are journalists out there working hard to try to provide information, which is so essential during this time. Well, if you look at one of the problems with information, what's one of the biggest problems with information right now is we don't even know how many people have coronavirus. We don't know how many cases have been out there because we have not been able to test. Yeah, I have a we friend have a lack of information. Uh, we have a lack of transparency. 
Yeah, I have a buddy that uh, teaches uh, statistics, and I, I, we were chatting, and I was like, I'll bet you tried to model this. And he goes, I tried, and th- there's just no reliable data. Well, there's no idea how many people have already had it, have currently have it, and are staying at home with minor symptoms and or full-on symptoms that haven't gone in yet. So you, there's really no way to know, and that was... That, that's a thought that I, I mean, everyone has to just kind of push out of their head to be like, well, hopefully the majority of people that get it are um, healthy enough to, to stave it off, to just overcome it on their own without needing to involve the urgent care or the emergency room. Yes. I mean, we, what we know is that I mean, in terms of, and that gets to one of the issues of like, what's the mortality rate, right? And we, uh, we don't really know the mortality rate. And sometimes mm-hmm. in certain places, it's been as high as 10%. But that's um, with an overwhelmed healthcare system. And um, with if we're able to flatten that curve, hopefully the mortality rate is significantly lower than that. But we really don't know. Um, and then especially in the U.S., we're going to have no idea what the mortality rate is here because we have no idea how many people have it. And, and we're never going to truly know that number at this point. Um so that's going to be a complete unknown, but hopefully it, it isn't too bad at the end of the day. One thing that it leads, one thing that that's kind of, that's related to that is the, is the comparison of this to flu, you know, and I know you're already aware of this, but this is one of those absurd things being circulated, especially on, uh, at least early on in Fox news. And it's just totally incomparable to the flu. Um, we know it's more contagious and we know it, it is lethal and we, um, it, it's likely at a, a, uh, a mortality rate, probably 10 times that of, of the flu. Mm-hmm. We have no vaccine for it. We have no reasonable, uh, treatments. We really don't have reasonable treatments for flu either, but, um, this is gonna, we've already seen, like we haven't seen, you haven't seen the flu just ravage Italy. <laughs> no and the flu being like a calendar year 30 35 000, maybe 40 000 I mean, give it fifty thousand on a on a high year for the seasonal flu and when everyone was touting that number we are well past that point now so that no, that should in no way factor into anyone's logic anymore that in the span of roughly four months we blew past the seasonal flu uh fatalities that that in itself should tell people like okay that we can stop calling this anything close to the flu it's yeah it's just so not which also brings me to one of trump's wonderful quotes this is from i believe march 28th just about a week ago mm-hmm. you can call it a germ you can call it a flu you can call it a virus you know you can call it many different names. I'm not sure anybody even knows what it is. <laughs> I mean, how unbelievable is that, man? <laughs> but the, how absurd is that? The beauty is that butted up against no one knows more about it than me. Trust me. Believe me. No one knows this better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure anybody even knows what it is. <laughs> I don't know. What is it? What's, what's this thing that's killing everybody and getting everybody so sick? 
Yeah, you can see like very <laughs> accurate breakdowns of the protein structure, the lipid membrane, how it you know transports itself place to place. It seems like we know this thing pretty well, and that's not yeah, irrelevant. We've had the genome sequence for months. <laughs> one, of the, all right, one of the definitive things we do know is that it's not the flu. <laughs> Yeah, we can in fact, very, very uh, unequivocally say this is not the flu. And one of the other quotes that drove me just absolutely off my rocker was when he was commenting on how sometimes you go into a major hospital and they'll have only two ventilators. <laughs> that is so beyond absurd to anybody who works in a quote unquote major hospital. Um, there's, I, I would be dumbfounded to find any kind of a hospital that can actually call itself a hospital hospital that has uh, two ventilators. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just insane. We were talking about uh, the journalism, the integrity, and I think that's why it's so frustrating to watch the press conferences because everyone's going, well, if I was there, you're like, well, that's why you're not there. You have to be this robotic kind of like, I have a question. Oh, I'm getting beaten with a baseball bat. Guess my question's over with. No need to Let answer Let me just it. nod. Yeah, I'll just nod along and go, boy, yeah. you're really calling me a piece of shit here. I, uh, I was just going to ask you. Um, but in those moments, I really wish people would stand up and go, what hospital? Which one were you in? You're always so against anonymous sources and discredit them if they don't, you know, cite their sources. What hospital had two ventilators? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. It's, it's always the journalists want to give, they want to be, come off as the adult and the one who maintains a degree of composure and respectability. Um, and it's just like, and they also don't want to insult the office of the presidency. And it's like, just stand up to the guy like just just lash into him once he's like at the end of the day he's just a guy and he's just a giant 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 asshole just tell him like if he's gonna berate you when you're a professional and very good at your job you should stand up stand up for yourself good luck with that man he's created this perfect storm where if you do that then the people that uh, watch Fox and that blindly support things will go, Oh, look at it. Look at this. They have an agenda. Look at this person. Stay, you know, disrespecting the office of the president. Good Lord. No wonder they don't let him in there. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're the ones who elected when they talk about disrespecting the office of the president, they're, they're the ones who elected like a birth, a guy who has however many dozens of people accusing of sexual assault of bragging on, yeah a, a hot mic about sexually assaulting somebody yeah it is uh you know, talk about respecting the office when they, during the not to get too political on this but when they during the uh, impeachment you know were like they've wanted him out since the day he was inaugurated as if that was some sort of like revelatory thing like what wait what the, the grab by the pussy guy no we've supported him we thought he would do great at this we definitely didn't think he'd lead us directly into a pandemic <laughs> it's outrageous man <laughs> if you had to just jot down three and a half years ago on paper like 
your worst fears. I think everyone was comforting themselves at that point going like, yeah, I mean, come on. It's just the, maybe he gets us in a war with Iran or something or North Korea. (sighs) I hope not. But if you could put, which we almost did, we absolutely (laughs) almost did. Luckily, you know, somehow or another, uh, did not do that, but to be impeached and be at the head of a global pandemic. (laughs) Iran decided to show some restraint. (laughs) That's the reason we're not in war right now. Yeah. And that we, this is like similar in that we pride ourselves on being the biggest and the best, but not in a way, how we did this seems more who we are in that we had a month head start. We knew what was going on in China. We're so far away. You know, the fact that we're doing so poorly compared to South Korea is so embarrassing. They're right there comparatively. And we, it took a long time for people to get over here. And so much earlier. We immediately jumped to the epicenter of the pandemic. We watched what was happening in Italy and like, we'll show you how to do it. (laughs) You just watch in a month from now, we'll dramatically outnumber your cases. Uh, It's, it's, it's so it's just embodies kind of who we are in a weird way that we, there's no chance we had of being like, Oh, we're ahead of this. However, maybe with different leadership and all it would have taken is similar to Garcetti here in LA going like, Hey guys, this is serious. I want you to do this. Maybe we could have stemmed it and been more successful like South Korea. Who knows? Maybe you never know. Um, you honestly never know. But, and there was like, I was reading a thing today about how, uh, during Obama's uh, administration, like during his tenure, they used up our national stockpile of uh, protective equipment and then did not replenish it, mm-hmm. which does sound to be a pretty dumb thing to do, to not to not replenish it, ever use it. Yeah. Um, at the same time, that's an argument you could use if this happened within like the first year or two of his presidency. Right. But to try to to try to point fingers three, three and a half years in is doesn't really hold water. No, no, um, it does not. That, I mean, someone sells you a car and it doesn't have a spare tire. And then four years later, you're like, ah, oh, those goddamn owners they never gave me a spare tire. <laughs> you could have solved that. This is outrageous. <laughs> this is a travesty. Tom, Tom Brady's gone. <laughs> and now I got a flat tire. Is and there I no stay in house, my house for three weeks? <laughs> I gotta sit on the friggin' couch. The Souths aren't playing. There's no socks on TV. Now there's a goddamn plague. <laughs> Brady's down there friggin' in Florida. Kill me now. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> Uh, you said you had so some uh, pre pre like you wrote down some thoughts. Did we cover them, or is there anything else you want to like um, share with the the listeners in that that could be helpful, or just your thoughts, or uh, useful, helpful items, anything like that? No, I mean, well, I actually I spent a little bit of time organizing my thoughts earlier, and then I went and was on my lathe for a little while. And then they all got disorganized again. <laughs> and it's kind of it's kind of like hard to talk and read at the same time. There's like a, there's a legit skill of people who do this for a living, and I don't have that. <laughs> so it, it's kind of been scattered. Um, I'm so glad uh, you got that lathe, man. You've been cranking stuff out, and I would imagine it's extraordinarily therapeutic during something like this. It's the best. 
It's the absolute best. Yeah, it is. Lathe, um, guys. It is. Um, there are... Um, so there are some... Oh, here's a couple of interesting things. One is some other recommendations for people if they want to get tested. You know? Mm-hmm. And that used to be what you would you would say for like chlamydia or gonorrhea or HIV. But now if you want to get tested, it stands for coronavirus. Yeah. I've been at home. Um, I had a dry cough and now I look, my fever is like 101. What should I do? What can I do? Exactly. You, the, one, the one thing is just, depends on where you are. I don't know what the testing situation is in all places. But in general, a lot of places do not have adequate testing and are not going to be testing you unless you're going to be admitted to the hospital. And I can't say that for every, for even every place in the local area here, but it's just uh, generally what I assume is, is a similar scenario. What you can do is most hospitals at this point have a hotline set up that you can call to figure out uh, whether they might test you or not, or uh, you contact your primary physician uh, and they can help direct you or you can use the telemedicine. But basically, instead of reflexively saying, I'm sick, therefore I go to the hospital, you need to figure out what the actual benefit of going to the hospital is because if, say you have the flu right now, the flu certainly presents similarly to coronavirus. So you have flu-like symptoms. You could have flu, you could have coronavirus, could have some other sort of viral illness. Um, uh, if you go to the hospital, you're likely going to be cordoned with other people with similar symptoms. So say you have the flu, when you, when you go to the ER, there's a good chance you're leaving the ER with coronavirus if you're, if you're housed with those people. And if you were going to be going home anyways because you're not actually that sick, then you totally went to the ER unnecessarily and exposed yourself and your loved ones unnecessarily. Um, or say you have coronavirus and you go uh, to the ER and you're not going to get tested and you're just going to be told to go home. Well, then you expose the ER staff, you expose other people in the waiting room, you used up uh, protective equipment. Um, so that's why the telemedicine stuff is incredibly vital because they'll be able to tell you what to do and whether you actually need to go see somebody in person or whether you can just do a remote visit like that. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. And then you, yeah, you can, you can use hotlines and they can tell you potentially what the actual local testing capabilities are. If you're like deathly ill, it doesn't matter what's going on, whether it's coronavirus or what you go to the ER, you know? Yeah. Um, I am worried we're having, we're going to be missing some major illnesses by people avoiding the ER unnecessarily. Um, uh, there was that, but uh, if you, yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, if, if you think you're not imminently dying, you should take the second to, you should take however many minutes to, to figure out if it's actually worth going or not for yourself. Um, and then you can figure out what the testing criteria are mm-hmm. and whether it'll actually be of benefit. Yeah, this isn't something you want to go in where you're like, oh, I was going to bring up uh, something that tied into that, like, uh, you know, people can maybe look at something like that of like, when do I know what's the threshold versus you obviously you don't want to go in like my shoulder feels kind of funny. Uh, but you also don't want to hold off and hold off to where there was this, uh, evangelical pastor guy in Virginia who said it's a hoax. It's a political witch hunt. There is just another way to try to take down the president. And then he had symptoms. Yeah. yeah no, that's what it definitely was what it is. Man. <laughs> when, <laughs> when he finally went to the hospital, 
he died like two days later because by the time he got in, he had pneumonia in both lungs, which likely means that he was going, good Lord, I don't feel good, but I cannot let this hoax win. And he was just fighting it off and fighting it off. And then finally like, all right, I got to go to the hospital and like collapsed and uh, died shortly later. So don't push it to that level. Don't be sitting at home with a high temperature and barely able to breathe going like, I can beat it. Hopefully people will know their own threshold and be like, all right, this is likely definitely it. I need to go in. Yeah. And it's definitely worth getting an actual, everybody's situation is different because, and there are reasons people have medical training and that you typically seek medical care. Um, you just don't necessarily have to do it in person. And so just having a fever is not necessarily mean you should go to the ER, mm-hmm. but just cause you have a fever and you feel relatively okay. doesn't mean you shouldn't contact your physician or some other telemedicine uh, person. Cause, um, you know, it might not be coronavirus. It might be appendicitis in, in Puerto Rico. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. And then, <laughs> and that's why you go, that's why people have specialized training is to like, is to broaden, uh, what we call the differential of what you might, what might be going on. Um, so if you're not imminently dying, get healthcare involved. If you're imminently dying, just go in, uh, give, give the ER an alert or, uh, when you call 911, give them an alert so that they know to be wearing uh, appropriate protective equipment. That was smart. Um, otherwise, Tylenol, stay hydrated. Um, one other thing of interest is like the idea of, uh, of uh, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody has any evidence. Uh, that's like a general thing going on with a lot of this stuff. Do you like how I brought that up though? It just was be like, I don't know. <laughs> well, cause there's two things the people that took their fish tank, uh, treatment and died from it instantly. Well, not instantly. The, the, the guy died pretty shortly thereafter. Don't take it that way. Don't take it cause you have a, a temperature. Um, I, I would also say don't take it without because certain hospitals and like if you get uh, pneumonia they've they've used it as a treatment there I've heard so I would just say yeah. not take it without the help of a medical expert. Yes, that's and even then, in terms of what we know about the actual efficacy of it, is we don't know. Um, we just really don't know. Mm-hmm. We have a general idea of the mechanism of how. Uh, chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine can work. We don't really know how azithromycin works. Uh, at the same time, we know it has some anti-inflammatory properties uh, in the lungs. So maybe that's what what it might how it might be beneficial. But there's no compelling evidence of it being useful. And all of the studies coming out regarding uh, coronavirus are going to be like such heavily biased studies in terms of like reporting bias and yeah. hindsight bias. Like you're we're going to have very little actual idea of, of what's uh, efficacious or not. That made me think of something that is a little bit uh, far afield from that, but, but ties in in that goes from the flat earth and the moon landing and Bigfoot and whatever else, these dedicated people on the internet that are steadfast in their pursuit and research. A lot of them, I'm pretty skeptical. They're, 
pursuing these re- these things and not to diminish the Bigfoot field. I had a Bigfoot guy on the show. I thought he was fantastic. I hope they find Squatchy. But the <laughs> all these kind of deep state 4chan kind of conspiracy things none of them stumbled on this pandemic it would have felt so amazing for them to land on something oh that my god it's happened. shouldn't they have found this <laughs> the thing that no one saw coming and then it happened and then they go right back to like it's hydroxychloroquine that's the next thing the government's keeping it from you like you lost all clout and credibility when you miss this you fucking idiots <laughs> we're also operating on, under the idea that they had clout to begin with <laughs> I was just thinking, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about how, like, when you were, uh, when we were all last hanging out, the biggest thing we had to worry about was 4chan. (laughs) (laughs) Or 8chan. Yeah, yeah. It's 8chan, folks. None of them stumbled on this. I mean, if we were starting to see so many... It's (laughs) maddening. Lock onto something that could be beneficial. You you 4chan jerks. Yeah. Ah, man. It's so funny, man, because this totally could have like this totally could have been a massive conspiracy theory. I do think, though, part of I do. I just wonder this this is totally conjecture, as is most of everything I've said. But uh, if we're not just like desensitized to threats, we face so many like worries all day, every day. And, oh, this is going to potentially be a bad thing. Oh, this is going to be a bad thing. Oh man, Ebola is going to be f- terrible, and nothing ever turns yeah. out to actually be that bad. Yeah, I feel, um, and so we, it's a little bit of like boy crawled, boy who cried, wolf or whatever. I heard and people now, say, yeah, totally. I mean, and the the it's weird to think of Ebola and swine flu as being kind of uh, boy who cried wolf, but they they the Ebola panic was very real. And I like to think of that, that it was a genuine threat and that we did what we should have done with this one as we, and we just circled the wagons and everyone bought into it. There wasn't a need for social distancing, but it was, everyone was paying attention to like when those two people came back, I think like Texas A&M or somewhere in Texas where they had like two people that were potentially at risk. I think yeah. those the two people died from it and everyone was like, it's just a waiting game. It's going to go everywhere. And it didn't. I felt like, you know, confident in, in 2016, people were like, who's going to win? I was like, well, Nate Silver has this projection. Obviously, he was way off. And uh, obviously, we have a different president than every statistical analysis was projecting. With this one, I felt equally kind of uh, complacent where I was, my thought was that like, well, we know about it. We know it's in China. I think our CDC and the authorities involved will handle this and we won't see the threat because we have such a head start, such a jump. So again, I was just really, yeah, boy who cried wolf, kind of like, eh. I didn't think it was swine flu. I, I was paying attention. I saw it was of a higher, um, like, kind of funny fatality or um, um, contagious, whatever you'd call it, the C number, C-O, C-O-R or something like that. Um, I watched Contagion. I remember the, the C number. Uh, but in seeing that I was, I still wasn't like, Oh man, we got to buy a bunch of gear and go live out in the woods. I just didn't, and not that you should do that, but they, I just, I was hearing people right as it was getting toward isolation time going, "Eh, it's just like swine flu. And at that point I was like terrified going, Oh no, people, people still, even though it's spread to so many States still think it's a, it's a, a hoax. That's not good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you have, I mean, what were your thoughts on um, when it was leading up to it? Were you like had one ear kind of always cocked paying attention to the news or were you also kind of like, ah, it'll, we'll, we'll, we'll head it off at the pass. I hate to admit it, but I, I, I was in the latter. I definitely thought we were going to be, I thought we faced, we faced legitimate public health threats every several years at this point, it feels like, mm-hmm. and we're able to prevent it from being an outright disaster. And it's 2020. We should be capable of doing that. Um, and then for it to just completely fall through is pretty uh, 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 outrageous. Yeah. Uh, I do think there are some unique uh, and this is all, this is a totally conjecture. I do think there are some unique difficulties to the U.S. and that, like, we are a very we have a our our population travels a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how that actually compares across the globe, but I imagine compared to China, where there's overwhelming poverty, like we are a pretty globalized nation. We travel, people travel across the world, not that infrequently, and. Uh, it's much harder to contain things at that point. Yeah. Yeah. When we started yeah. hearing stories about like the, the patients being welcomed to the nursing home and federal employees there with no gloves on, like shaking hands and stuff. And I remember that was kind of the first story that caught my attention. Like that doesn't seem great. You'd rather they aired on the side of having like that pressurized hood you were talking about. So that the people coming in are like, good Lord, mm. we just came off a cruise. What's this all about? But uh, yeah, looking back at all of it, I'm sure the movie or the retelling or the historian's version of like this, then this, then this will be really fascinating because they're all coming so fast now. We can't really keep track of all of them. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad you're on the front lines, man. And um, man, I'm not. <laughs> I, it sucks the front lines exist, I mean, but I'm glad you're one of the people there. No, yeah. We have, uh, honestly, our, the, that is one of the points of optimism is just how incredible our uh, staff are at the various places I do work. Um, people have, you know, they commented on like the leadership, but even, but everybody has basically stepped up um, and people are uh, coming together and we're going to get through this. Um, yeah. Um, so in terms of optimistic, I did write out some optimistic stuff because typically I'm kind of dooming. I'm just kind of mainly doom and gloom on this. Okay. The big picture, we are going to get through this. People are going to get through it. Um, it is highlighting a lot of problems and leading it to increased efficiencies. Um, it highlights a lot of problems in uh, you know, both both on like a global level, nationally, and then even locally in our hospitals, we deal with inefficiencies all day, every day on a normal routine basis. And now with this, we're actually f- being forced to tackle those and lead to a more efficient system. It highlights a lot of the inequities in terms of healthcare availability. Mm-hmm. Um, the errors of having, of relying on like, private companies to to handle national <laughs> or global <laughs> pandemics rather than relying on a competent uh, federal government. Um, and 
this, oh, the stimulus, it sets a nice precedent for families to actually get bailed out rather than just massive corporations. Yeah. Except are they going to be able uh, to do one of those every six weeks or so This with the prolonged? Who knows, man. Yeah, man. Not to, be, not to bring doom and gloom. And then, right, this yeah. is positive. Sorry. And then this is bringing people together. <laughs> you know? Yeah. People are Zoom chatting all the time. Yeah, that's true. People are catching up with people they haven't talked to in like decades. Yeah, it's true. So Everyone's doing a nice job checking in on each other and hey, how's it going? And um, Which I hope we can do if this prolongs because one it'll mean you have time to do it so i'm going to keep checking in on you because if you're like dude i can't i'm working every day straight for the then i'm really gonna be bummed out uh because no, we'll be all right yeah and you guys are nice you guys have been you and emily rose have been checking in on us well we're worried about you man you guys are out there on the front lines of something that is um really unparalleled in the grandness of and and uh kind of historical in nature so yeah man want to make sure you guys are doing okay mentally and uh emotionally and all that yeah we're hanging in there we're doing all right we got a loving dog <laughs> at the end of the day do we at the end of the day we have great lives we you know yeah I mean, this is what we've signed up for and hopefully i'm saying the same thing in a few months but <laughs> I think you will. Things are good. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I'll check in with you soon. And uh, thanks um, for taking a little I time. I did want to say we were going to be coming out and visiting you guys all the time over the next couple of months, but unfortunately we can't now. You know, <laughs> you we, bastards. We were going to be coming out there all the time and hanging out and just taking care of Cobra and stuff just to help out a little bit, I guess. But uh, <laughs> we can't now. And that, that stings more than anything. That really <laughs> <things>. <laughs> well, thanks for taking some time, man. I don't want to take too much away from your lathe time, but, um, yeah, stay, stay, uh, calm. And I don't mean that. I'm sure you're the one telling everyone that, but, uh, I mean like, you know, stay centered. If you find yourself getting a little antsy or frustrated, uh, give us a call. All right. Thanks, man. Sure, dude. All right. Well, um, keep up the good work. Thanks, man. You have a good one, all right? Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right. Later. Sounds good. See you, bud. Well, I hope you found that helpful and um, educational in some way. Uh, a couple things I wanted to add at the end. Um, they're doing a great job, he said, with um, homeless people, because if it spreads in that community, it can be extremely dangerous and deadly. So they are treating people who come in uh, who are homeless as sort of a top priority to get the test. Because, you know, he mentioned earlier... Uh, they can't just give it to everybody. So they have to kind of have this hierarchy. And he uh, made a point to say that. Also, I didn't follow up during the conversation and ask, but a typical hospital would have somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 20 to 30, depending on its size. Big, you know, metropolitan hospitals, certainly like 30 ventilators. So the idea that they would only have two is just crazy. Um, okay. And if any of that was inflammatory, I don't like this show to be politically uh, affiliated in any way. I don't ever want to get to the point where this is a place you come to for my two cents on who to vote for or anything like that. If nothing else, this show, I like to think, has always been critical and skeptical and a look at how to examine things, how to think about things, make up your own mind. There are plenty of editorial news stations these days where you can go and get your mind made up for you. Um, and people get pretty incensed or outraged. I've been drawing these little comics 
on Instagram that uh, kind of poke fun at people who are blindly idiotic to their own allegiances, alliances, and things like that. And uh, yeah, someone was real upset about one recently, and they had been a Professor Blastoff listener, which was baffling to me because we used to make fun of Trump on that well before he even thought of running for president about how what a buffoon he was with everything with gold always gold oh i'm making the most luxurious things and we were i think ahead of the curve there with making fun kyle would always do this character that was just a buffoon so for someone to listen to that show and then come away from it to this point being so blindly loyal to this notion of uh someone can do no wrong i guess then this show gets a little political because i can't i can't have that i just can't live in that world i think it's ridiculous um when there are these dualities of uh so many things i don't want to get into it too much but uh, maybe i'll do like a patreon episode wouldn't that be a sweet bonus talking politics i don't really want to get into that at all but maybe i do think there are certain things that it seemed like we could all agree upon someone getting promoted to a position of power who dodged the draft and didn't go to war fair maybe any of us in that situation back then if we didn't like that war would have said i don't want to go but it's certainly different when you have a very wealthy father and the means to not go whereas a lot of people were forced were shipped off lost their lives lost their loved ones that's neither here nor there the second part of that is that if you are in that first category of having the privilege to not go, and then you later say, I like soldiers who weren't captured. End of discussion. You're out of the picture in my eyes. I think I I used to think we could all agree on that, that that is absolutely unacceptable. That level of logic uh, seemed to be foolproof, and yet there are people who go, he's the greatest. So I I think we're all uh, discussing that way too much. It's, It's at the epicenter. It's just too ubiquitous. I try to keep this show devoid of that. But it has kind of uh, worked its way into a very central, tragic um, bit of focus for all of us. And, uh, and of course, you know, hearing from an emergency room doctor, it has been directly impactful to people in all of our lives. And so really hoping that uh, they stay ahead of it, especially like, you know, if you're like me and you have someone working in those situations, uh, I want Patrick to stay safe. I hope your friends who are nurses and doctors do the same, as well as your loved ones, family members. So even if uh, you're someone who doesn't believe in it or whatever, try to protect uh, the more the more vulnerable people and uh, stay indoors. Wash your hands, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll beat this thing and flatten the curve quickly. Um, as I mentioned, there is a Patreon for this show. You probably already know that. The show is devoid of ads. I uh, hope you like that. It's made possible by contributions from listeners just like you. It's usually a bonus episode. Currently, there's one about like 90 minutes from another podcast I did where she asks me a bunch of questions that I don't normally talk about. If that's even remotely interesting to you, check out the Patreon. I think I'm also going to start putting up some uh, bedtime stories. Let me know if that would be appealing. I think people are maybe having a difficult time going to sleep. I've been telling some stories recently to my sleep partner uh, that seems to be helpful. So let me know. I'll maybe try to record some of those and put them in the Patreon. Okay. Um, let's get out of here. As, of, as always, we're sending uh, thoughts and support to 
some team members of ours, Dan and Ashley down in Australia, and Ashley um, getting ready to go through chemo and treatment for uh, brain cancer, and then Gene, who just had a double mastectomy and is up walking around healthy. It seems thus far that she managed to go into a, a medical facility and not come out with COVID-19, but I, we don't know that for sure, but she seems to be doing okay, and so we'll hope for the best. Anyway, send some positive support in their direction. Uh, we could all use that. So it's a nice, warm, cozy little community here out in this cave deep in the nether regions of our universe. Just keep uh, spreading good, positive thoughts toward each other. Help out when you can. And like I keep mentioning on this show, hopefully the kind of mental processing of it has changing from hopefully you're not just laying there watching Netflix all day. But if you are, that's fine. You got to process your thoughts. At some point, maybe you'll get a little sick of that. And if you're able-bodied and healthy, go, what can I do to help? And that's where we really start kicking into gear. Maybe you can make stuff. Maybe you can think of something for a friend that would help them or benefit them, a way to use something you have. Maybe that's uh, machinery or just a vehicle, transport stuff. I don't know. But these are things that hopefully we're all thinking about in ways that we can help and stem this and, uh, and beat it and keep a lot of people alive. That would be the best. So anyway, I won't ramble on too much, although I've done plenty of that. But thanks again to Patrick Hughes, Dr. Patrick Hughes. Pretty handy on the lathe, too. That guy's good with wood and uh, a great doctor and just a genuinely nice dude. So I appreciate him taking time. Hopefully catch him with him, catch up with him uh, down the way a little bit. And uh, hopefully it's still he's getting days off and things are going in a manageable way. We'll see. But uh, hang in there. Doing good if you need to talk. Get in touch, space underscore cave on Twitter. You can email pings at the space cave. Uh, if you have suggestions for beer, I'm eh, not going to be drinking beer for a while. But if you have suggestions for uh, music or guests or topics or anything, let's get out of here with a song from an album that just came out this week from a good pal of mine, Mike Wiebe, a new band of his called the Draculas, D-R-A-K-U-L-A, uh, in Texas. They're great, especially if you get a chance to see them live when this thing breaks. I hope you go do that. And if not... You can at least listen digitally now, and they'll keep you company a little bit more upbeat, positive, get you feeling a little more revved up if uh, you're feeling kind of sedentary and and, uh, got a little cabin fever. I think this will liven you up a little bit. I hope you like it. It's called Dark Black. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. 